the most dangerous person for me to fight is the guy who doesn't mind dying. You know, I don't want to fight that guy because he's got he's got no fear. He's got nothing to lose. He's the dangerous guy. What you're describing there is I use that very often. The guys is what we're describing there is, you know, yourself so well. You're so happy with yourself that whatever happens on out there, you know, it's an expression of where you are at the moment. And you can trust in that you go out and you perform without fear. And when you perform without fear and you don't have all of the sort of everything we've just discussed on top of you, you as you say, you unlock that potential. It's, it's performance without fear. It's expression without fear. And, um, and ultimately, I think that's the goal. This is the Limitless Athlete podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of MindsetRx and your host. And I believe you should study yourself like a scientist. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I respond to it. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Knowing others is intelligence. Knowing yourself is true wisdom. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. Or simply, know thyself. It doesn't matter if you were born millennia ago, like Aristotle, Lao Tzu, or Socrates, or born today, like you. Knowing yourself is the first step you must take in order to fulfill your potential as an athlete and as a human. In this podcast, Phil Mansfield, coach at Red Pill Training, frequently asked the question, do you push the piano or play the piano? What he's getting at is something like, are you someone who thrives in grunt work, routine and discipline? Or are you someone who thrives in chaos and the unknown? By knowing this, you know how to structure your training and recovery and even how to think about your self-talk. But self-knowledge doesn't stop there, of course. What really drives you to be your best? What are your fears? What are your worst habits and best attributes? What do you spend undue time worrying over? What is the story at the heart of your performance challenges? Who do you believe you are? How has time and experience trained your nervous system's default setting? What are you really imagining before a lift? If you don't know any of these things, you'll be a leaf in the wind, blown about by external circumstance, lacking any say in your outcome. At the end of the day, you can only control the controllable, and that only controllable is you. So begin a kind of study, part psychological, part philosophical, part sports performance, part anthropological. Make notes and question why you're doing what you're doing. Get to know who you really are from a different perspective. Become the observer, as someone once said to me. Phil is a true gem of a human and we cover some really fertile ground for athletes it's always fascinating to find someone who says similar things but from a different perspective to yourself this is what i found in this conversation now i bring you phil mansfield phil welcome to the podcast my friend um thank you for joining me pleasure to be here Tom. let's start off with the the kind of the obvious place in this conversation. What was your relationship with sport and um, performance as a kid? Um, 
typically English, uh, rugby and cricket, um, and uh, <clears throat> played, yeah, played cricket and rugby until 16. At 16, I was offered a professional rugby contract and uh, had to choose between cricket and rugby. At the time, I was touching on the door of uh, county second team cricket and chose rugby, which was probably the worst mistake in my life. Um, I was far, far better. I was a far better cricketer than I ever was rugby player, but I just enjoyed rugby more. So um, went down the rugby route and um, continued to play cricket recreationally, but was, yeah, was rugby. And then as a 19-year-old, I fractured my neck. Um, so had the, the, I've got the nice shark bite at the front there for the fusions and neck was fused together and told that, that was the end of your rugby career. So um, went into uh, ultra sports, really, Ironman, um, marathon running and ultra running. So went from 112 kilo open side wagon head to a uh, to an 80 kilo Ironman <laughs> Ironman athlete. So it was quite a quite a long, quite a fun journey, to be honest. Yeah, that's pretty different. That's a transition in terms of performance, <laughs> sure. Um, before the injury, what was your mentality like? What were you like as an athlete? Well, I think we tend to um, we tend to define our athletes. I think the thing I say to the coaches that we work with or coaches that I mentor is your first job as a coach is to decide, are you dealing with a play the piano or a push the piano? And you need... You need you need people for a concert to happen. You need someone who can play the piano wonderfully, but you also need somebody who pushes the piano into position and makes everything ready. Um, and I think it's the most important decision you'll make as a coach. And as a rugby player, I was very much a push the piano. Um, I had hands like feet, and um, I had, uh, uh, but I was big, strong. I was the fittest in the team. Trained hard, always in late. You know, always did the work. Always, always. Uh, abused the fairies or the pretty boys in the backs because I was jealous of their talent that I didn't have, I think. Um, and um, yes, I was very much uh, what I call a push the piano, uh, trained very hard, uh, always on time, notebook in my hand, studious of the game and very little talent. Uh, <laughs> I think that was the, uh, that was my mindset towards it, it was I'll, I'll compensate um, for my lack of ability through hard work. So I was going to say that sounds very much like your coaching career until you said the lack of talent thing. Um, but the student, <laughs> like from what from what I picked up from conversations, people from from looking at social media, that kind of thing, um, I've noticed that studious, work hard, um, observe at a deep level mentality. That seems to be kind of a consistent theme in your life, right? Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. I, I believe um, I believe in watching before acting. Um, I really do. I, I do believe in giving people a chance and seeing how they seeing how they evolve um, mm. and seeing what they do in situations. Um, for myself, as much as much as as the athletes we're working with, and and I think from those rugby days, I think that's something as you you, you rightly say that hasn't changed is that. The hardest worker in the room or the that sort of mentality where it shouldn't be because of my hard work that we don't achieve our outcome you know it shouldn't be because we didn't we didn't do our work it should be because i'm actually 
more than happy to lose. I know that sounds very hard from a from a sort of uh, an elite sports coach, but actually, I don't mind losing. I actually, uh, I actually have no issues with losing. I love it when someone's better than us, you know. Uh, but I want to lose because you're better than me, not because I could have done something that could have affected that. Uh, I, you know, the best. I say to all of my guys that when you're 35, 40 years old, I want you to be able to look in the mirror and say, I made it to that level or I didn't make it to that level because I wasn't good enough. I think it's the most freeing, freeing sentence to be ever to be able to say to yourself is that I didn't make it because I wasn't good enough, but I, everything else was there and in place. I did what I should, but there are just 10 people better than me or 20 or 100 people better than me. We can't control that. Um, so, so I carried that very much over into my 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 coaching career I can't control if I'm the best coach at all I can't control if there's anybody better than me out there what I can control is how hard I work on myself mm. well if you're winning 100% of the games you're playing you're playing the wrong game like you're, you're in the wrong league absolutely absolutely um yeah yeah if so there's there's a few points I want to pull out here one of them is the mentality around rugby like my how do I put this <laughs> politically? Well, um, I know a lot of people who've played rugby and grown up in a rugby environment and a, that culture. Some people out there, they come out of that with a really nailed on mindset of like, this is who I am. This is what I need to do. I want to work hard. Some people come up, they're way more fragile than they entered. Um, and maybe that's to do with TBIs and all these kind of things. Then you look at someone like um, Johnny Wilkinson, who's been through that kind of transformation and come out of a, come out of his like kind of new era of life, like a man who's done a thousand ayahuasca retreats and he's just like a completely different man. So like, what was, what was the culture like for you in rugby and how did that shape you? Yeah. If I can, if I can, if I can answer that, if I can just delay the answer slightly there, um, I, th I think the first thing I want to want to say there with the rugby culture is that is the elite athletes, the best of the best, they are by nature the most insecure people I've ever worked with. And the higher up you go, um, the higher up you go inside sport, <clears throat> I think the common misconception is, is because they're good at sport, because they're winning at sport, they have some kind of mental strength or some kind of um, security. I think I find exactly the opposite. I think uh, the best example I can give you, uh, which might be an unpopular example, was I was fortunate enough to know Michael Jordan's coach and study a little with Michael Jordan's coach um, and have an insight into his psychology. And I can't watch the documentary Save the Last Dance like I, I can't I physically can't well, I watch the first half and here's what potentially is the greatest sportsman ever lived that can't finish a documentary about himself without having a glass of whiskey in his hand and bloodshot eyes because it's that hard for him because he's that insecure as a person even though he's a wonderfully talented beautiful person um and I think that looking for Johnny Wilkins is a classic example. He's who's openly admitted when he was in his sport, when he was at the pinnacle of his sport, for the rest of us watching him hit that drop goal in the 2003 World Cup final, we're thinking that's the calmest, coolest, best man in the world. Where inside, as he admits himself, there was just turmoil. <laughs> you know, he was a he was a very shaken, very fearful, uh, very, sort of very much fit, filled with fear, as as rugby does. I think the rugby coaching and the 
men men's mentality around rugby is very much that we won't show weakness we won't show failure we all we it's very how I experienced rugby was very fear dominated coaching that it's it's not about expressing yourself it's not about going out and doing the sport you love and being the best you know experiencing as much as you possibly can it's very much about being scared to make a mistake it's very much about physical contact and and hurting people and and it's, for, for me it's a it's it's it doesn't breed a strong mindset it breeds a so, strong perception of a mindset but i think mm. um i think there's a very big often say to to people what goes on behind closed doors is very different to what you see in public and there's thankfully now a, a wonderful world of um marketing or attention being drawn to men's mental health uh, and it's exactly what we need we need more of it but i think the difference between me and five guys in a rugby dressing room versus me and one guy going for a coffee how the how the atmosphere changes or how the when there's me and my friend we talk about our worries our insecurities and are we going to get picked or is so and so better than us but in the group of five we're boisterous and we're loud and we're we're fighting for position and we're, and, and I'm not sure that the rugby mentality breeds, <laughs> breeds what would be naturally strong, strong people. Um, so I certainly, I certainly left rugby with the perception of myself that I was a very strong, strong willed person. And actually I was for want of a better way of saying it, a scared little boy. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, rugby, yeah, I think I, I think of course you can't blanket every rugby player in that because, like you say, there are some people that play rugby for that fulfilment and find the fulfilment in rugby. But I know certainly my network of friends and my network of ex-pros. There's more of us that have mental health problems because of rugby rather than we have good mindsets because of rugby now. Um, it's certainly a changing environment at the moment, like. The only thing I can parallel from my personal experience parallel to is from being in the military, where there's, again, a fear-based coaching style, if you can call it coaching. It is in a lot of yeah. scenarios, and it's just yeah, shouting yeah. in other scenarios, yeah. which I'm sure we'll yeah, get onto. Um, yeah. But it's like this fear of, like, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up, with very real ramifications, because it's your mates' lives at the end of the day that you're protecting. Yeah. But it yeah. does fuel this kind of scarcity, and it fuels a don't screw up mentality and i think what it feels like strength but also rigidity it's like grit you get a hell of a lot of that through that kind of like don't screw up just be very rigid achieve the outcome achieve the outcome but it doesn't allow for that kind of fluidity flexibility movement that we know that you need not just on the physical level obviously you need that supple ability to rebound but then you need that on a mindset perspective too on the mental performance element and i think that's what I personally see as lacking in a lot of rugby and also that kind of any athlete who's created by that, that, that fear-based coaching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's, 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 yeah, it's the fear of losing rather than the, the looking forward to winning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the joy of performance yeah. and the self-fulfilling yeah. part absolutely. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually finding out what my body is capable of doing. How far can I take this vessel? How how far can I, you know, how far can I push it? Where can I go? What are my boundaries? And and really, ultimately, sport is self-discovery, isn't it? It is just, and if, if, if kids are taught 
from early age. It doesn't matter if we win or lose. It doesn't matter if we do whatever it is. Now, I have to take that in context, win or lose, because I, my, I, I run a business based around achieving results. So I don't say that lightly when I say it's not based around win or lose. It's about how far can you... I find actually trying to win restricts you more than finding out how good you are because when I ask you what are you capable of what you'll probably say is I want to reach that particular level where you might actually be a lot better than that you might actually get further than that you might be able to go much further so actually by saying I want to win tends to actually put limits on you for me the most open thing is well let's see physically how far we can take this vessel what can you achieve Um, and if you if you go in with that attitude, then then, all, then it's almost open. It's almost free of, of where we can go. Exactly. We're so wired to be quantifiable in our goals, but it's actually the downfall of smart goals that maybe you're being too rigid. Maybe you're not looking at your full potential. Maybe you're completely limiting that because you're looking at such a narrow aperture of your performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I, think, I think for me... Um, culture in sport proves that i think it's 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 funny the if you say the first if you're taking crossfit the first time you ever go to the crossfit gym and you walk in and there's a beginner's class on or the first time you've walked into a crossfit gym you've got i don't know sam briggs and (laughs) who else doing and you look at that and you see that's my perception of crossfit instantly that's what fills your head that that almost that level of that level of crossfit um and you sort of associate well that's that's what crossfit is um and you look back to 2011 at the games 2011 and you've got three people doing ring muscle ups we all remember annie's annie's sort of chicken wing roll over push out and now you've got 75 year olds doing ring muscle ups it's not easier now for the body to do a ring muscle up than it was 10 years ago it's just culturally more acceptable so people feel they can do it if we can somehow find that in our coaching, that it's the the Roger Bannister effect, I suppose, is what is what I'm saying there. But but if we can somehow build that culture around that, it's just let's see how far we can go rather than putting limits on. I want to achieve that or reach that point. I think it's very powerful. Yeah. And I suppose that brings up the difficult conversation of why are you doing this in the first place? It's like, are you doing this because you want to achieve or are you doing it because it's the, the word that you hear abandoned about is autotelic. It's self-fulfilling. It's the, your only, you're doing it purely for the enjoyment of the pursuit or the, the activity rather than trying to achieve a goal, which can take you to the next level. You, I think we want to find something that is purely that enjoyment in the moment or that fulfillment is, or meaning. It's not even enjoyment. It's like, this is meaningful. Even the difficulty and the struggle, which is inevitable, is meaningful. Even the losing is meaningful because it expresses something more than myself within that. And if you're not doing that, you're probably not going to get to the, the true heights of your potential. I, I think, and it's, it's pedantic to say this, but I think there's a difference between the why and meaning. And I've always said that. And I've always sort of talked about purely in the way it's perceived, purely in the way in the, 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 the meaning for me, meaning is just, a, it's just literally in the articulation of it and how I think I receive it and how I think when I, when I use that in psychotherapy sessions, for example, if I say, tell me why versus what's the meaning behind that? I think it's just a very almost dialectual way of asking the question. It's, it stimulates a different answer from, from the customers or from the athletes or whichever way it is. There's not necessarily a difference. It's just more in how I perceive that it's perceived as, uh, I experience it being perceived as a deeper, 
better question than tell me your why. I find tell me your why so broad that it often people sort of sit there and go, well, I haven't really thought that far ahead. And for the for the most part, for the most part, if we're being honest, the reason we're working in sport is because we all have a little bit of an attention deficit problem. We're all a little bit, you know, hyperactive and we don't want to sit down for too long and we don't want to beat a book and so actually send someone right and get your journal out and tell me your why it's far too big it's far too deep it's far too aggressive for them it's almost like well I can't tell you my why and then my why might be different in three months time might be different in six months time and it's changing for me where can you explain the meaning behind what you just did or can you explain the meaning behind actions and how do they relate to your core values of what you are what are your core values as a person what do you want to live by and then tell me the meaning of your actions in relation to your core values. I find just more beneficial. I find your why quite waffy, quite sort of like, well, it's sort of, I don't really know what to say. So just find your why. And I'm not going to help you find your why. I'm just going to tell you, you need to find it. It's, yeah, uh, it's just nuanced. Um, yeah, it's such a big question that it's meaningless. We always talk about the three yeah. big, the three P's of mentality or mindset. It's like physiological, like a nervous system regulation, moving to psychological. And then only the once you've kind of only once, which is basically never, have you got a real wrap on your psychological development? Do you want to move on to the philo philosophical stuff? And that's really what yeah. what's your why is. Because like, if you don't know yourself, if you don't know your drivers, if you don't know your narratives, if you don't know what is kind of, again, meaningful to you, how are you supposed to develop a broader why, a context like that? It's borderline impossible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that that's the, um, I think that is the, the that is the problem that is the problem and i find i find so many times i've been to i've have someone through an athlete in and said oh you know so and so asked me to write down my why or find my why or look for my why and like you say they're just they're just it actually ends up causing more problems than it solves because yeah. because it's so big and so grand um it's the grandeur of it i think that's the problem yeah, yeah. you're exactly right i think there's other more important questions like what do you want to achieve and who do you want to be like, and then we can yeah. get to the why afterwards. Yeah, exactly. But also the how. Also yeah. the how. The how leads to the why. A lot of the time, a lot of a lot of the people I've worked with don't actually know why they're doing it until they find it. And when they get there, when they when they when they lose, it's actually it's more often when they lose than when they win. When they lose, they hear that that's why I'm doing it. That's that's what I'm fighting for. That's my passion. There's my journey. That's what I'm going after. Um, I think a lot of the time when I say to you, say to somebody, why are you doing that? It's because I enjoy it. It's because I like it. And for me, that's more than enough. If it's because you like it and it's because it's, it's fulfilling in some way to you, let's start there. And then gradually let's unpick as we go, go along the journey, let's unpick the whys and the, and the meanings behind the different actions you take. And I skipped a training session today. You like, okay, what, what was the meaning behind skipping training? What was, what's, what's your reasoning behind it? Um, and I think ultimately, uh, Joe Friel, I don't know if you've heard of Joe Friel, an old uh, old triathlon coach, um, a wonderful coach, wonderful coach. And he would he would always say that, um, that psycho sports psychology can just be boiled down to two simple points. Either an athlete thinks they're better than they are, or an athlete doesn't think they're as good as they are. And, and we don't need anything else in coaching. And it's just a really nice, it's a really nice way of, of sort of, of surmising it, of saying that really sports psychology comes down to the incongruence between reality and expectation. And 
And for me, unpicking that reality versus expectation is everything. It's the most important thing. So your expectation and your your goals or your whys lay here. But the meaning behind your actions and the points of your actions don't match up to your outcome. And and having that visualized and talking through that with them is about the most important thing I think we can do as coaches um, is it doesn't matter if you're it doesn't matter what level you're trying to get to. It matters it matters you will always feel good if you're in balance between expectation and reality um well we're trying to see truth like that's what we're trying to see it in that you can only act accordingly with the world if you perceive it accordingly or accurately to begin with and if you are misperceiving it because you've got a kind of a lens on a biased personal story lens then you're going to be misperceiving the world you're going to be not seeing it accurately as it is and therefore your actions are always going to be um unintentionally misaligned absolutely and i I actually think for newer coaches younger coaches um or even older coaches i struggle with it myself i think that's our hardest job it's our hardest job is to be communicatively good enough and accurate enough to get the message across that hey there's a gap here between everything you and I just talked about now I think that's the hard conversation I think it's very easy as a coach just to say yep it's all good Carol I'm not going to take that hard direct conversation with you but I'm uh, somehow um through through psychotherapy training I can remember sitting there thinking that I'm a good communicator I can remember thinking that you know I have some great results from the psychological aspects of coaching I can remember sitting thinking how brutal the therapy sessions were, sort of how how direct the questioning is and how honest it is and how pure and how almost sort of direct into the heart cutting it is. And the person who's taking the information is sitting there saying, thank you for it. And mm. I put myself in that situation. I think, can I imagine speaking to some of my athletes in that way? Can I imagine being as sort of direct and as honest as these, ther- these wonderful therapists are? Um, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult from a coach's perspective to be able to hold your athletes accountable for for what their realities are, what their expectations are, and actually what they're what they're living. Um, I find that I find that the art of coaching, if you like, from a psychological standpoint. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook. How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free, you just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com ebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Yeah, there's there's so much to unpack in that man. Um, there's the kind of the piece that's, that jumps to mind straight away is, well, why and yeah, why is the coach in it having those kind of conversations for the first place, and why are they coaching in the first place? Is it to be to perceive himself as more likable? Is it to perceive himself as the expert? And again, we're like we're kind of taking one step of abstraction back there. It's not about yeah. the athlete seeing the world as as it really is. It's about the coach seeing the world and themselves as it really is. And once they can kind of do the work on themselves, only then can they 
coach their athletes properly because they're not so hung up on wanting to be liked or wanting to be their friend or whatever it is that they can actually tell the truth without opening themselves up to or too much perceived vulnerability. Well, well, here's the conundrum that, that I face very often. It's easy if you're employed by a rugby team, football team, cricket team, and your head coach, because here there's such a different psychological dynamic because you're employed by the club and the players to a certain extent, they, they don't have the choice. Where in our space, our, our bosses are our athletes. They're our clients. They're paying, they're paying you for the service. So what, what I tend to find often, often with coaches is they won't take the hard conversations or they'll say the nice things or they'll say the things that aren't necessarily right for the athletic development, but it keeps them paying every month. It keeps the business. It's a very difficult dynamic. Uh, and it's one, that, it's one that's not talked about uh, often enough that it's, and it's one that coaches don't receive enough support for is that I know I need to deliver or I need to ask this particular athlete to work on these particular areas. Yet I know that causes conflict. Um, and it should do, you know, the, the best part of psychology is conflict It's not, not the best part, but it's in the, the part where we grow the most. Is when, lot, yeah. Yeah. And, and I often say to my athletes that feeling in your stomach, you know, when I say stomach and you go, I don't like that. I'm like, that's because I've said something perfectly. That's because when you feel that, that's when I want to sit down with you. I want you to look at your eye. I want to cuddle you. I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation with you. And if I haven't made you feel that sort of in your stomach for three or four weeks, it's I'm not doing my job properly. You know, I need, I want to say things that that make you look at yourself. I want to say things that make you. I'm more than happy to say, Phil, I disagree with you. You're more than happy to say that, but I want you to be open enough to go and, and, and think about that. When you're running a business, um, as we are in, in this space and, and the sort of coaching providers that are looking at your quarterfinals, semifinals games, athletes, you maybe they wouldn't openly say it in the sort of social media forum or on a podcast, but they are thinking, well, the athletes also pay me. And if I take that conflict, if I do that point, if I have that there, I lose, I lose the custom and it's, 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 it's more prevalent than, than we think. I think it's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. It's, I say my temptation there was to say it's all a time frame perspective. Um, because if you're thinking short term, it's like, I've got to keep this person here now. I've got to keep this person in this from, from, come from a scarcity perspective, but it is such a real possibility to lose people and to um kind of screw up your coaching career in a way or make it more difficult or like it's especially if you're seeking comfort and ease um it makes it really difficult and i, th I think it comes back to the i can't remember the pilot's name but he talked about do you want to do something or be somebody and a lot of coaches are trying to be somebody um i've definitely yeah. fallen into that trap previously it's like i want to be perceived as this i want to be this type of person i actually when i first joined the military it's a similar thing it's like i want to be a royal marines commando and then as i've grown through this it's like actually i want to do something i think i want to i want to do something meaningful and whether i get recognized that isn't important uh oh, in itself and ironically it's the byproduct that comes from it yeah and that's exactly it and i think I think it's about what I've say to say to myself regularly and to the coaches is if you trust yourself enough and you trust your processes and you trust your honesty, it will come through in the end. And yes, you might lose some people in the acute term, but chronically 
your integrity, your honesty will come through and you will you will end up doing a better job. And ultimately, the athletes that are walking around with your name on, it's their results that will be set in your business. So if you are true to yourself and you believe your best coaching product, and I'm not talking about being rude for the sake of being rude here. I'm talking about actually asking people to feel, asking people what they're feeling, why, they, why, they, why they're taking that action, looking at that incongruence between expectation and reality and working with them in that in that space there being investing enough in your communication skills as a coach to then be able to deliver that information effectively if you're doing all of that your business will be i don't know why we ended up talking about business here but it will end up being it will end up being so much better because that will shine through eventually it just might not in the initial phase um well, I think the business thing is a metaphor for success in anything because it's like yeah. whether you're an athlete or whether you are um, kind of a traditional businessman or whether you're a coach, it's the same principles. Can you see the world truthfully and can you experience it truthfully with as little of your own biases as possible? And that's what we're trying to get to. Who or what piqued your interest in psychotherapy? So... Um... I think I, oh, it's a long story. Um, I think going way back to 2007, I studied in the USA, I was studying um, uh, biomechanical uh, biomechanical education uh, in movement and was working with a, a, a group of coaches there. And I remember here we had Tiger Woods coach, we had a Jordan coach, we had sort of the top, top. And I was just a little boy in the room who kept very quiet and listened. And I think what, piqued my interest there was the how they described those athletes as I said right at the start there was not these are strong powerful guys it was more they phone me every day to get out of bed they're insecure normal human beings and I think if I'm being truthful and and um, I think my own seeing myself I never perceived myself as strong yet I'm perceived as strong and I always felt, I almost felt fraudulent in that I know the person I lay in bed with at night myself, and he's not a strong person. He's not, he's not strong at all. He is very vulnerable. He's very insecure. He, he works as hard as he works as a compensation because he doesn't think he's good enough. And perhaps I'm not the only one that feels like this. And hearing the stories of the sort of, and working slowly with, been fortunate enough to work with some of the best of the best across multiple sports actually sitting with them at the dinner table and watching how they hold a knife and fork and listening to them I'm thinking you're as vulnerable as I am yet your your media profiles you've just been on Sky Sports doing an interview or you've just been wherever you are your your clothing the way you dress your sort of your aura just oozes confidence and everything else like that but actually when I get under the surface, I find this very insecure, scared person, as I am myself. Um, and I thought there's there's potential in I can only get these guys so far through physical, biomechanical, program design, concepts and components of fitness. I'm hitting a stopping point here. Um, and if I'm going to achieve what I would like to achieve as a coach, if I'm going to better these athletes, actually – the program's irrelevant. And my, my athletes will often hear me say that the, the program's irrelevant. Whether you do snatch today or clean today, 
if this isn't in, in order, it doesn't matter. You, you, if you do 12 reps or 14 reps, if you hit 89 kilos or 90 kilos, it makes no difference at all. What, what, what does matter is that you get this side of it right. You get that psychological performance side right. So, so I did a psychology degree. Um, and as part of the psychology degree, saw counseling and psychotherapy and thought, to be truthful, I hated sports psychology. I think sports psychology have got it very wrong um, in what, what I learned because like I said before the athletes I work with every day the application of the knowledge are we're sports people because we're fidgety we don't like to sit still we don't want to read a book we want to be up we want to be active you know I've got 15 minutes and at 15 minutes of concentration and I'm up making a coffee I'm doing something else and I have to work in 15 minute blocks and sports psychology for me was schemes and filling out forms and self-evaluation and sitting with sorry to say men with suits on behind a desk and and counseling was put them in their environment put them in the gym get them on the bike and ask them ask them without bias as you, as you say or without sort of any kind of opinions just ask them about their life ask them who they are and get them to to talk about themselves and for me I looked at counseling, I looked at psychotherapy and I looked at sports psychology and I thought, why is the most applicable, applicable, practical people in the world being asked to sit down and fill out forms? And yet on this side, we've got all of this wonderful research and understanding from counseling. It just doesn't seem to be applied in the sports world. It's almost like we have sports psychology as a different segment, almost like they're different human beings to all other psychology which is counseling or bereavement or sex therapy or whatever it may be has has this side and and to be honest i found that the more i tried to apply the principles of sports psychology the more i felt um resistance from my athletes sort of i don't want to sit down i don't want to write i don't want to journal i don't want to do this i want to talk about i don't mind talking about it but in the middle of a set in the middle of it they've just failed a squat clean in the middle of the set or in the middle of a, at the end of a, I don't know, 500 calories for time on a C2 bike. And I go over and I put my hand on his shoulder and they didn't hit the time they wanted. And I asked them, why do you think you didn't get the time you wanted? That's the point where I, they open up the most. It's in the practical, it's in that sort of counseling psychotherapy environments, if you like, where you're just open and open to conversation versus, okay, to a Tuesday, 10 o'clock, I want you to bring your pen and paper, come and sit over from me and, and I'm going to ask you about your life, you know? Um, so, so yeah. So, so for me, there was just more applicability from, from that side than there was actually the sports, the sports psychology wise. And I know I'm being very broad there and blanketed and I don't want to be, I don't want to say sports psychology is bad. I just personally found more applicability in, in this side rather than the, than the other side. Yeah. Well, the way I see it is that the human experience went from this very kind of religious, subjective experience in, well, up until the scientific revolution, where everything was about the way it felt, the narrative that was portrayed, it was you against the world, you're like you're living out your own hero's journey from what I gather, I wasn't around then, obviously, um, but the scientific revolution, sorry, scientific revolution promoted, can we quantify this? above all else science was the new religion at that point so everything was about metrics everything was about how how can we measure this um and if you couldn't plot it on a graph it wasn't provable but exactly. 
it's like we needed that. We needed to get a bit more specific about things, but it seems like it's over-egged itself a little bit. And true sports psychology for me, or true mindset, however you want to pass it, it relies on both those aspects. There's the really messy, gritty human aspect that is so weird and subjective and full of emotion and full of your individual story and everything that's ever happened to you and your genetics and like that messy thing where you don't really understand yourself. And also the, can we develop a pre-workout routine? Can we um, establish this very specific protocol for a very specific lift? And like, it's, it's that when they marry together, it works really well. But I think because we're so scientifically biased at the moment, we want to find something we we instantly apply what is quantifiable so we start with smart goals as opposed to who we are and we start with pre-lifting routines as opposed to understanding our drivers and like and and we do all of this thing instead of i don't know uncovering what's underneath the suit of armor that we've built up yeah i mean absolutely per- perfectly put i mean i think one thing psychology is is it's it's always oxymoronic it's always incongruent it's always it's always wonderfully, and that's the beauty of it. That's why we study psychology because we've, I think we've reached a place cognitively as a person where you accept you're never going to get an answer. And I don't think you can do well in psychology until you accept the philosophical side. Um, but, but having said that, going right back to the start, you have that push the piano and play the piano. It's just what we use. So a pre-lifting routine for a play the piano is 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 the worst thing you can do you know uh i know research research proves the routine will get it right every time but i've got one or two particular athletes that still have that four-year-old petulant you're not going to tell me what to do type attitude to training putting routines and structure on them they need to be left alone they play the piano they'll be late they'll turn up late and they'll sit at the piano and they'll they'll wow the audience every single time they'll never make a mistake where the push the piano who needs to be more of the play the piano they need the routine and and that structure and i and and i think again the essence or the ability of the coach to read those situations is do we want the data driven or the more sort of phenomenological approach to 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 coaching how do we how do we read that being able to walk into a gym and know the person you're talking to know the person you're working with and and know should they be left alone should they be given routine are they crying out for a routine on the flip side is that play the piano that i've just said is petulant who doesn't want to be told what to do is the best thing to do for them to give them a routine and force them into a routine and see what happens there's many that would argue well they just need to learn it and that for me then goes back to that fear style of coaching is that well I've proven it works on this athlete, so I'm going to use it on this athlete. Where, where what we're discussing, I think, is that toolkit for every that every coach needs to have to be able to go in and take each athlete on its merit and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply this particular strategy in this particular situation, um, and then and then as you say, none of it's relevant anyway until we've un pick their drivers and unpick why they're there and what they're doing and the meaning behind what they're doing. And yeah. And it gets, and again, it gets quite large, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Part of me wants to say, Hey, does this plot onto, for example, 
the openness to experience aspect of the big five personality test like could we could we say hey you know what like this was a, essentially a creativity continuum just the, where the athlete fits on this but maybe that's a bit too precise maybe that's a bit too um restrictive and maybe it's about well know thyself that's where we start with all this stuff isn't it it's like know yourself yeah yeah i, I think that's it i mean my journey is i'm a as i said push the piano i like the um I like the structure. I like a pre-lifting routine. I like a warm-up structure. That's that's how I am as an athlete. So me me being able to when we have a new sign up, if if I see it as a as a push the piano type athlete, I'm happy to take them on. I have to work hard with the play the pianos because it it's not my natural it's not my natural side of coaching. It's not I, I have to really hold back in allowing them to express themselves allowing them to be themselves i come from as you as we talked about previously i come from that rugby very fear-based coaching and it's a path i'll never go down myself as a coach um but at the same time i'm also saying we need to hold them accountable in the gaps between reality and expectation which comes across as very harsh but it's not it's not driving them into fear and so it's it becomes very difficult to be a good coach, if you know if that makes sense. It becomes very difficult to to get the balance right between I've, you're delivering harsh, potentially harsh messages, um, but at the same time empowering that play the piano to be expressionate, play their game, be who they want to be, be the type of person they want to be, allow them to go into a gym or a football pitch or wherever it is and express themselves. You know, your Matt Letizia type players, Paul Gascoigne type players, Georgie Best type players. You, you don't give them a pre-match routine. You don't tell them they need to be at this time to warm up. You just hope they turn up on time and let them play. You know, mm. you don't put them in. You don't put them into boxes. Um, I think that's really difficult to get right. Yeah, because everyone perceives structure differently. Some people perceive structure and too much of it as, I don't know, as, as a kind of cage. And some people perceive it as scaffolding to grow from it's uh, like yeah, blanket, it depends yeah. on their yeah exactly it depends on their perspective entirely yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that's the the most important thing we do as coaches and that's why i use analogy push piano play the piano it's, it's bigger than that but mm. but that's that's our job as coaches primarily is to which athlete fits in which bucket here uh, and how do i essentially our job is to get the best out of the athlete in front of us or as athletes themselves knowing that about yourselves knowing what type am i i've met countless athletes that will they know they're late they know they're behind there's this feeling inside them there's this sense inside them that knows they perform best when they're just themselves but society and culture tells them that all their all their competitors are there warming up all of the competitors have got headphones on and warm-ups and structure in front of them so they turn up 10 minutes before the workout and they first thing do is, Oh, I'm really sorry. And, and, and already they're going into the workout. And the reason they're not performing in the workout was not because they're late, not because they didn't have the pre-workout routine was because they've started thinking I'm wrong. I'm different. Mm -hmm. Whereas, whereas that person, that person, you know, the first thing I'll do is that's, is the structure I'll give them. It is not structure. It's more a security in being who they want to be is the right thing to do. And that's mm -hmm. usually enough to allow them to express themselves when they get out on the dance floor. Um, where on the flip side, uh, uh, push the piano that turns up three minutes late, 
the whole workout's gone potentially because they use their whole warm up, they use their whole <laughs> the whole time thinking about that they were late and that it's not good enough, and it's almost like that one that one cookie eating that one cookie is the thing that's going to affect their whole performance and the reason they're not going to make the games or semifinals and the reason they can't perform. And they're so, you know, they're so the, the play the pianos there, they're sitting having a beer the night before, or if they had an ice cream, they had an ice cream. They don't care, you know, and on the flip side, you got that person had that one cookie or had three minutes late for a warm up, And as a result, the whole thing is a disaster and I can't perform. And it's, it's weird because you've got these guys, comparing to these guys and these guys comparing to these guys where what our job is is to say hey let's just be yourself let's just find your system that works for you and trust in that and and not take it as seriously uh, as all of that um, so, the, yeah. the beautiful the beautiful thing about human beings is that whilst i share 99.9 percent of my dna with you we are completely individual within that and we have this own individual preference and proclivity to tend towards like a certain type of person that we feel is most authentically us. And the more you reject that authentic expression of you, the more of a shit time you're going to have. And it's going to be really uncomfortable, but the more you lean into that truly authentic perspective and that truly authentic expression the more you're going to find your own little niche of behaving and acting and who you are the more you'll find some security now that gets messy when we believe things that aren't true about us and we have built up this narrative that is not a reflection of who we actually are but if you're going to find that if you if you really if you really understand yourself and if you really kind of pick out your most authentic expression of yourself that's when you find your next level of performance because you're it's like you're firing on the right cylinders and those timings in the engine have have kind of hit that cadence that's right for them it's it's you and that's what you want to find you don't want to find someone else you don't want to find this person that you should be you want to find you expectation versus reality hey like it's it's I, the, the most dangerous person for me to fight is the guy who doesn't mind dying. You know, mm. I don't want to fight that guy because he's got, he's got no fear. He's got nothing to lose. He's the dangerous guy. What you're describing there is, I use that very often. The guys is what we're describing there is, you know, yourself so well, you're so happy with yourself that whatever happens on out there, you know, it's an expression of where you are at the moment and you can trust in that you go out and you perform without fear. And when you perform without fear and you don't have all of the sort of everything we've just discussed on top of you, you as you're saying, you unlock that potential. It's, it's performance without fear. It's expression without fear. And um, and ultimately, I think that's the goal. I think that's the goal more so than the meaning or the why, because as we've talked about, I think it's very difficult to, to nail down a why. But but perhaps you would argue and so you couldn't you couldn't do that without finding your why. But I th- I think just having that ability just to we mirror ourselves a lot in how culture perceives us. And I think we then act the role we're given by certain people. So parents telling, oh, you know, he's the naughty one or parents saying, oh, he's, he's the clown or he's the funny one. Gradually the child starts to think, well, that's the role I've been given by my parents. So that's the role I'll start to act. And so I think a lot of the time, what we need to do as coaches, we see, is this a role they're playing because they've been given it by a parent, uh, a, a previous coach, the environment they are, have they found some kind of social acceptance 
in being a bit of the clown, being a bit silly, saying things that are way out of their character. And actually, when they get home in the evening again, and they lay, the, lay bed in the evening, they think, why did I say that? That's not me. I f- regret being sort of as loud or as boisterous or as whatever it is as I am. But but that's me. I, I do that to fit in. So I start to play that role. And are we seeing the role the person's playing? Or are we seeing the actual person that, that they genuinely who they are want to be? And how often is it you meet someone you think they're a lovely person or think someone I didn't particularly like them at the start. And then when you get to know them, they're actually very, very different in reality. How do we find that person? Like, like I said before, how do I find that person when I sit over from from them at dinner and I hear their insecurities, how do I find that person on the dance floor? How do I find that person out on the pitch or out on in the arena? How to find that person that, that is open and knows themselves so well that they're comfortable with themselves. If I can unlock that on the floor in the competition, as you say, I have a fear-free athlete. And, and I, I think that's it's, it's, it's very difficult, but it's, it's very important. So you spoke there about how we develop an identity to kind of protect ourselves against the unknown, really. It's like we develop this secure, this is who I am, this is kind of the way I interact with the world because that creates a reliable response in the world. And that often happens in childhood and then we bring that into our athletic performance and that's how we grow. How do you recommend that athletes pick apart what is authentically them and what is an act they're putting on? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> just a small question yeah uh yeah um this is a three-hour podcast right yeah uh, <laughs> i think i think here's the problem is that you we're talking about non-conceptualization the whole podcast so far we're talking about people being people allowing them to express themselves being who they are and now we're asking ourselves and which we have to do as coaches i understand that but now we're asking ourselves to say well actually what do we do about it um and now we're asking to boil it all down and find some kind of concept to take away and do something about it and i find across the whole coaching spectrum that's where it goes wrong you very here you need to work on your mindset you need to be stronger athlete. You need to do this, but there's very little of, okay, then what do I actually do about it? So I think it's a great question, but it's just a very tough question. Um, and we tend to use three systems or I tend to use three systems. Um, firstly, I ask them to analyze individual behaviors and individual moments in, in their day, in their life. And, and, and very often it can be very small things like just, getting up in the morning or breakfast or for me this having them curious about themselves is enough to start the process and so the first job is to have them curious about understanding themselves and open up for that you it is actually possible to self-regulate analyze yourself see who you are as a person um so the the three things we'll use one the first is a core values what type of and again not too deep is actually list out what your core values are who how you see yourself as a person how you'd like to be perceived or how you would like when you go to bed in the evening what would you like to think about yourself um i also i get them to write their obituary for example or or write a letter to them from their daughter or from their husband or from their wives or, or whatever it may be. And, and what would be contained in that letter? And a lot of the time that will open up your core values. 
And from there, then you're looking at, well, how is my behavior matching up to my core values? And the gap in the middle is the development or the training points. Um, and then from there, there's two particular things we'll use. One, we use forks in the road. So we'll ask them to tra- chase decision-making back through a process of, uh, of why you didn't eat breakfast this morning. It can be very simple. That comes to the gym, I haven't eaten breakfast this morning. We have a forks in the road system where we say, okay, I got up late. That's a fork in the road. Okay, so the fork in the road was, did you set your alarm? No, I didn't. Why didn't you set your alarm? Because I was working late. Why were you working late? And the sort of at every junction, you had this left, right option and just and not again not attaching necessarily opinion to it just literally going back and saying where did you have choices yesterday so that you could have breakfast today um, where did you where did you have choices you've got a two-hour training session but you only come to the gym for 90 minutes how how has that come about through forks in the road well it was because i used 35 minutes on instagram this morning <laughs> that was my fork my fork in the road was I opened my phone and I clicked the dreaded button that said, now I'm going to lose 35 minutes. Um, and and then from that work fork in the road, putting it into one of three buckets we use, we use fun, fear and focus. Um, and usually a compensation can fit into, well, I was enjoying myself too much. I was scared of something or I was too concentrated on something. Um, and it's it's very broad, but it works for, for this understanding. So opening Instagram is actually my brain was switched off. I was in fun mode. I was in relaxed mode and I was too relaxed for that to make a good decision at that particular point. Um, or I was in a fear state or I was in a, I got lost in the details of some particular thing I was writing. I was trying to get this job done perfectly. I wanted to clean the kitchen first. I wanted to wash the, do the washing. I was in a very focused state and I ended up, I ended up late. Or on the fear side of things, it can be that genuinely I was putting off leaving because I had some kind of sort of procrastination because I didn't want to go to the gym or I was worried I've got squat cleans today or I've got overhead, snap, overhead squats today and I don't particularly like them. So there was some kind of fear delaying me. So... I've talked a lot there, haven't I? Sorry. Um, but it's sort of a, a process of building from my core value is I want to be someone that trains and does all of my training. My behavior was I turned up to the gym for 90 minutes and I only had, I knew I had a two hour session and the reasoning or the chasing the forks, decision making through those forks in the road in the morning, the compensation of me not getting to the gym will usually be one of three buckets. I was doing something fun. I was doing something fear. I was doing something focused. Analyzing that over a period of time gives you an indication of am I um, fun, fear, focused type person. And then from there, we would assign tasks to work on supporting that area. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful kind of uh, framework that you've got. It's, it's really nice because we are talking about messy human subjective experiences. Yeah. And yeah it's it's never gonna like my experience coaching athletes on their mentality anyway is that whilst i have these frameworks and these systems to work people through it very rarely follows that exact flow template that we think about but having that kind of that system to work around like okay roughly where are we going to go it's it's very useful to have that um one thing that 
I'm interested in, and one thing that we're playing around with more and more and more as we go into that is are you sympathetic or parasympathetic? So are you fight or flight, rest or digest? Like where are you falling within that that spectrum? And like it, it plays into obviously the psychological aspect as well, because are you running a fear-based script over and over and over again? And is that feeding you into the sympathetic and is the sympathetic state feeding you back into that fear-based script? Have you found like, are you working on that side of things too? Um, or is that someone else within business or like how are you seeing that nervous system regulation piece fit into mindset and performance ultimately well i mean essentially i think we're saying we're we're probably wording it differently but i think we're saying the same thing with the fun with the fun fear focused i mean the fun fear focus is is linked directly to 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 hormonal to to hormonal responses um and and um and yeah i think on the fun side of things like we'll we'll say the perfect again it's not 33.3 percent it's just it's a great way of explaining to athletes the perfect athlete has the balance between fun fear focus Mm -hmm. so they have they 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 like it enough to enjoy it they're concentrated enough to to know what they're doing and they're just a little bit nervous scared of it to to have the right hormonal response so so I think we're actually saying the same thing um, where you guys are possibly looking at sort of ner- synthetic, parasynthetic nervous system. I think I, for, for me, I just put, want to put that in a more e- digestible way for yeah. the athlete and say, OK, is it because, you, you know, you know, you'll see that fear response that the most dangerous thing I have, can ever hear from an athlete is I just want to have fun. Like mm. the second I hear that, the alarm bells start ringing. And I know we're in a fear state. We're in a high fear state. They've actually lost a lot of the mm. overview of what they're actually there for. The meaning's gone. Um, and so they'll project a fun pr- pr- sort of, they'll project a fun behavior pattern, but actually it's, it's born out of fear. Um, and on the flip side, you know, the athlete that sits there and just writes and journals and notes and should have, every second single planned out and then they're forgetting that they're actually there to enjoy it and they're forgetting that it, it, they're allowed to feel a little bit of fear and and again we can link that back to sympathetic sympathetic responses um so so for us we will or for me we'll try to have it as applicable as possible going right back to the sort of the attention deficit of athletes is i want them to be able to self-regulate and feel like when we go back and analyze that behavior pattern, we can say, where were you here? I was far mm. too focused or I was, I let fear take over or I was actually far too relaxed. You know, I was, <clears throat> I was understimulated and uh, understimulated or a parasympathetic response. You know, I, th- I think we're saying the same thing. Actually, yeah. I think we're, I think we're using it. I think we're just putting it in different packaging. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we are. I really think we are. It's the, I think we're kind of we're we're singing from the same uh, hymn sheet, whatever that whatever that expression is. It's like <laughs> there's something yeah. in there. Maybe maybe it's a different language, but we're we're, we're sim, like yeah, it's the same so. tune. It's the same tune. It's yeah. um so a conversation that I keep on having with athletes is okay. You get people that are entirely action orientated here. I'm just going to do 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 take action. You got people that are entirely reflective 
based and they spend their whole time um, thinking about what's the most optimal way of performing here. How can I tune this? And it's, if you exist on either side, you either get nothing done or you get so much done that you get nothing done. It's the same end result. But if you balance those effectively and that maps onto your individual tendencies, that performs like creates some sort of structure, some sort of arch or some sort of like tension between the two where you get the right things done and you're very action orientated with it. But yeah, it's, if you spend too much time reflecting or too much time mindlessly doing, you don't get to that point. And, and you can... You can you just described there push the piano play the pianos, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's exactly mm-hmm. what you, yeah. exactly what you've just described mm-hmm. there and, and that's <laughs> and and it's just it's just you know, I think for there's nothing necessarily wonderfully new in the mindset world or the psychological world it's just the application of it and how we how we get our athletes to the nourishment of them how we get them to function best inside a system how we communicate for me. Our job is to sit there and be the studious nerds, but and understand psychology to the level that you, we're discussing it now. But but when we walk out onto the gym floor and we have the athlete in front of us, it's absolutely there. Our biggest weaknesses is we can't impart any of that knowledge. We have to find a packaging that allows them to nourish in, in, inside it, and actually it grows them. And it and the best for me, the best case scenario ever is that we get to two years of coaching and the athlete thinks, well, what has my coach done for me? They haven't done anything. If I've done my job properly, they should just be able to turn up to the gym, train every day, get better and better and better and actually think, why am I paying this guy? That's absolutely the best scenario for us because we're creating a subconscious environment for them to grow mm-hmm. and get better. And the self-discovery is and and I, I say to the guys that the, the the best coaches in the world are the anonymous. They're anonymous. They 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 don't. They're not shouting and screaming. They're not running in. They're not jumping on things. They're actually creating that self-efficacy to to be able to f- f- create that environment that breeds self-efficacy rather than uh, rather than you need to depend on me as your coach. Like I have the answers for you. Um, and it's it's a. Uh, uh, if you listen to me, you'll make it there. If if you do as I tell you, you'll get there. It's it's the fear of the coach project. It's the projection from the coach where the absolute best thing for me is that an athlete wins and thinks it's because the athlete's great, and we just sit in the background and we'll go and have a beer somewhere quiet. And and uh, you know and uh, and the athlete has has thrived in that in that environment. And I think again this is just my opinion i think that's what all coaches should be striving to do i don't say i get that right all the time but i do my best to get that right yeah i um yeah wouldn't it be nice to create a tribe of entirely dependent athletes on you <laughs> that's that's what some people are trying yeah. to do well it's subconsciously i think it. but it's like yeah yeah, yeah. You, you definitely do and it's, it's it's not about the athletes it's all about them um and that's again it's a it's a challenging there's a there's a balance to strike within there because if you don't promote yourself to some degree you're never going to be able to work with people and you've got to, you've got to talk about it, but there's a, there's a way to do it. There's, there's definitely a way, a way to do it. And um, I, I could carry this conversation on genuinely for about three hours, but I know you've got a call in 15 minutes as well. So let's wrap up with three questions. I like to, to ask everyone who comes on here. Firstly, what was your greatest athletic achievement and how did it feel? Personal athletic or as a coach? Yeah. You. Uh, my greatest athletic achievement was uh, probably the finishing my first Ironman um, and how it felt devastating (laughs) 
because I woke up the next morning and I was still me. Uh, <laughs> and I had somehow convinced myself that the whole process of doing the Ironman, I would wake up and I would be the person I've always dreamed of being. And I woke up the next morning and I looked in the mirror and I still had the same insecurity I had the day before. So it <laughs> absolutely broke me and devastated me because I'd convinced myself I was suddenly going to change uh, as, as a lot of people do. But yeah, I think finishing my first Ironman was a, was a great achievement. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, a few years ago, spent a long time earning one of these, um, which you can yes. see, there we go. Um, yes. And I was, I spent a lot of time and energy and reflection and hard work and everything thinking that when I place that piece of green felt on my head, I'd be a different person. Um, and it turns out that despite the meaning significance that a green beret holds, I was unfortunately still myself under a different exactly. Hat. Um, exactly. So it, it, that was very frustrating. Um, what <laughs> books have you gifted most to other people? Um, the one I'm gifting at the moment, I'm actually looking at it now, is the the boy, the mole, the fox. What's the? I'm just gonna. I'm quickly gonna go. Go for and, it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna go and show you it. Look. Um, no, we can still hear you as you go and root around as well. Yeah, you got okay, your so the, yeah. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. What's it about? Uh, I'm gonna let you read it. I think, or everybody read it. It's it's a kids book. Uh, it's probably got about 500 words in it and it's just a beautiful book about friendship, being good to each other and self-discovery and learning. And it's a kid's book and it's, it's, yeah, I think if you, if you want a personalized gift, if you want to tell someone you care about them, I think that's the book you would buy. Um, Beautiful. Oh, I'm, I'm taking that as a personalized gift from you that you care about me. So I'm, I'll send send you a copy. (laughs) I'm going and ordering it straight away, man. Um, That's straight away. Yeah. There's um, a Jordan Peterson book that he produced as well um, about, um, about seeing dragons. And it's like, once you admit that it's there, it gets smaller, but if you don't admit it's there, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's such a beautiful book and eloquent way of describing it. Um, Yeah. yeah, Okay. Let's wrap up. And finally with um, where can we find a bit more about you? Um, Where can we follow Phil Mansfield? um i um i'm told i have to have an instagram account um by the powers that be good one. Um, it's a good so instagram I, account i go in waves with it um so there'll be a period where i'll post every day for 10 days and then they can go three years before I, before i go back on it or even open it but uh yeah there's instagram and then more uh, there's the red pill training website uh, redpilltraining.com um, and then red pills instagram instagram site so if you've seen the matrix um it's uh have you seen the film the matrix do you know the matrix yeah, yeah. okay so we we have red pill because uh we feel that everybody should take the red pill that the the, the blue pill and waking up and being yourself is not so much fun so um so that's where it comes from. Um, so yeah, Red Pill Training or my Instagram. I think it's Phil Mansfield underscore MSI is my. That's the one. Instagram. I've got that written down in front of me. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for your time today, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Limitless Athlete Podcast, this time with the wonderful Phil Mansfield. We have some exciting news, which is that we're going to be working with some athletes in a more exclusive basis. So if you are ready to truly upgrade your mindset and start performing at the level that you know you have the capability to to do so, then we are going to be creating something special for you very very soon so head over to our instagram which is mindset rx so mindset rxd romeo x-ray delta and you'll find out more when the time is right oh and make sure you get on our email list too so download our ebook